Good morning. <clears throat> Happy Father's Day. Uh, as we celebrated Mother's Day, we're going to return to Deuteronomy chapter 6 and Deuteronomy as a whole. So if you have your Bible, please open to Deuteronomy 6. I'm going to start by reading verses 1 through 9. Now this is the commandment, the statutes, and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you, that you may do them in the land to which you are going over to possess it, that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son, and your son's son, by keeping all his statutes and his commandments which I commanded you all the days of your life, and that your days may be long. Hear, therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them, that it may go well with you, and that you may, may multiply greatly as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you in a land flowing with milk, with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children, and you shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when, and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as a frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Let's pray before we start here this morning. Father, I thank you for this word spoken by Moses to a, a new generation to remind them of the failure of their ancestors. And Lord, as we look into this this morning and again, uh, think through how Deuteronomy applies to each one of us on this day, Father's Day, Lord, I pray that you would do your work through your spirit, through your word, in us, through us, that we would do this very thing to fear you, to love you, and to teach others. Lord, we need you to do that, and we pray that you would bless our time here this morning as we spend it in your word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. This morning I'm going to walk through these three areas. The, the covenant renewal ceremony will we'll just remind you of this as we talked about on Mother's Day as we started this look into Deuteronomy 6, and then I'm going to bring in more context here of looking at the grand narrative. Where does Deuteronomy fit in? At what happens before? What happens after? So that we can just really get an understanding of how this fits in God's redemptive narrative. And then we'll look at, again, living by and, and passing on some of these covenant values. Uh, following me would be Mr. Matt and then Pastor Andrew as they uh, look at different aspects, again, of Deuteronomy chapter 6, and maybe broader even than that. But first of all, we know that we talked about this loving God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength. But that's pretty easy. I see a couple of heads shaking. No. Quite impossible, because the word all is in there, right? We just sang a couple of songs that we need the Lord every hour, that we need Christ to hold us up. In fact, one, one line in the beginning of that second song we sang is, He must, He must hold us up. It's by the power of Christ. And as this covenant community, we come together, we look again at Moses' call to covenant love, 
And then also imparting truth. We, we do that through relational living. We do that through life on life, teaching, leading, uh, wherever that happens in life. We, we talked about that at Mother's Day. But today, as we look at this once again, let's remember the background, the backdrop of this people. This is a covenant renewal ceremony. Moses, before a new generation, he leads this ceremony again on the plains of Moab, the very location where the previous generation said, we will follow. And they did not. They failed. This is where, in fact, they committed to keeping the law. And instead, Moses is speaking to none of those from that first generation, but now descendants of them, children of them, who grew up in the wilderness during those 40 years of wandering. And Moses delivers this series of sermons in this book of Deuteronomy to remind them, to instruct them, to prepare them as they would go into that promised land. In fact, they would go without their leader. We know that. Moses doesn't even get into that promised land because of his own failure at the very end to be able to go across. So in this series of speeches, Moses recounts the history of Israel's relationship with God. He talks about the exodus, the giving of the law, the wilderness wanderings. He reminds them of this covenant God, this covenant that God made with them, and then he exhorts them to obey God's commands. Why does Moses do that? He does that to emphasize God's faithfulness and the importance to obey his commands that come from being a chosen people, a redeemed people. That's very important as we're going to go through this and as I wrap up my time here this morning as chosen people, as redeemed people. That's where their obedience would flow out of. So his style of these addresses, if we read through Deuteronomy, we see motivation to obey coming from God's faithfulness and his power to keep those promises. If we were to look at just a wide angle view, a sweeping landscape maybe of, of the grand narrative, the, the redemptive narrative of the scriptures, of the Bible, how does Deuteronomy fit in this grand narrative? It's we can't just look at one passage here, and, and we could go on all kinds of tangents and, and forget the big picture. How does Deuteronomy maybe even advance this grand uh, redemptive narrative, creation, fall, redemption, and new creation? How does it fit in to that? Just think with me a little bit, and I'm going to probably go through this quite fast, just pick out some highlights First of all, Exodus, of course, Moses goes back to the Exodus. God delivers his chosen people. Uh, grumbling sets in very quickly. The food was way better in Egypt. Life was better in Egypt. And, and they're actually referring to slavery. And they're saying, no, Moses, this is hard. Life was better. We should probably go back. Very quickly after this grand deliverance, this great uh, deliverance and redemption out of their life of slavery, they, they grumble. Uh, Moses, think of Moses coming off the mountain with the tablets, the law. Uh, he, he's coming down, and what are the people doing? They're melting their trinkets and jewelry to make a golden calf to worship it. How long did that take? Not long. Moses is coming down, and he sees disobedience. Again, idolatry very quickly 
sets in in God's people. Aaron makes a very interesting note when Moses comes and says, what are you doing? Aaron says, don't be mad. You know the people yourself that they are prone to evil. What a summary of God's people, of us, of me. You know them well and how prone they are even to evil. Think about those 40 years in the wilderness, over and over, no faith on God's, on, on the, the part of the people, but God's faithfulness, His promises are unchanged, unyielding, they're steadfast. This is over and over. This is the pattern. Think of Joshua, which is right after Deuteronomy, the conquest stage, entering the land, conquering the enemy nations around them, these holy wars uh, that were happening. This is the final crossing over the Jordan where Moses, of course, did not go. But we see the same cycle. Victories came when they were faithful, when they did this by faith, when they trusted God, but then there were defeats because they didn't trust God, failed to trust. In fact, they even took spoils of the war and hid them in, in certain occasions. By the end of Joshua, think about this as the end, he, he says, you need to make a choice. And they say, yes, of course, we will serve God, we will fear Him. And Joshua says, no, you won't. You can't. And they say, yes, we will. And yes, we can. And Joshua says, you're witnesses today by these words against yourself. But if you're saying yes, serve God, fear God, but change your life right now because empty your pockets, he says at the end of Joshua. Empty your pockets because you've got trinkets from your idols in there. Put them away. You're chosen. You are redeemed. Well, what happens after Joshua? Judges. If you've read Judges, it's quite an appalling list of sins, this downward spiral, this pattern, which comes right after their promise that we will serve, we will fear. They rebelled through idolatry again, disbelief, and God brought judgment through foreign opposition. He raised up a deliverer, a judge. They delivered them. They, if we think they're heroes, they weren't because they also failed. The people repented, they turned back to God, and they fell right back into the same thing. Idolatry, sin. This pattern, all through Scripture, unfaithfulness on the kind of the people and faithfulness on the part of God. They were supposed to be the light and the hope to the nations all around them, but instead they are punished. God uses these other nations to exile them. So this is, of course, followed by this a series of prophets who come to Israel, to Judah, warning them, calling them to come back and, and repent. Very tragic because, again, they've thrown away their royal priesthood and being a light to the nations, despite of God's having chosen them, redeemed them, and adopted them as their son. And through the prophets, we know that God's anger against his people would not last forever. Mercy grace, patience, long-suffering, he would provide a renewed Israel who would serve the Lord. 
that hope for a new Israel, the true Israel, would come through the Messiah. And he would come and embody all that God called Israel to be. He would, all of what Israel was meant to be would be fulfilled in Jesus Christ, God's true son, true Israel, faithful Israel, who succeeded where the Israel, the old covenant, failed. He fulfills every aspect, preparation, anticipation through the law, through the sacrifices, and through this new covenant, he establishes himself as our high priest, our mediator, the Lamb of God who came to take away the sins of the world. He came as the hope and the light of the nations which Israel was called to be. He came as the righteous one, as the king who would not fail like all the kings before him did. He came as the true hero. All those heroes of the faith don't even, can't even measure up to the hero of Jesus Christ. This is the redemptive story. This is the redemptive narrow, uh, narrative that every promise is fulfilled in Christ and he is coming again for full consummation of that redemption as he brings in the kingdom, his eternal reign, new creation, and unending glory. So Deuteronomy fits in there. Creation, fall, redemption, and new creation. Here, another generation, more failure. But all of this is pointing to God's faithfulness. In fact, pointing to the prophet. Moses himself says this in Deuteronomy. The Lord your God, in, in chapter 18, verse 15, will rise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen. This would be Christ. So as we understand this covenant renewal, we understand the grand redemptive narrative, now we're to look at this again at a, a closer look and say, well, how do we live by this? How do we pass on these values that we see in Deuteronomy 6? All this again flowing out of our identity as chosen, adopted, redeemed people. To love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength, to fear Him, to worship Him. I hesitate to say to hold on to Him because we don't even have the strength to do that. He holds on to us. But to teach and pass on these things to others, His law, His character, His holiness, His faithfulness, His work through the person of Christ. So fathers, on Father's Day, we, we come usually to talk about leaders in the home. Uh, this morning's messages, the, the messages of this morning are titled, Redeemed Leadership. As we already read, verse 6, these words shall be on your heart. This is speaking directly to heads of homes. Teach them diligently to your children, verse 7. Talk about them in your house when you sit down, when you walk by the way, when you rise. This is really talking about all of life from when the sun comes up until the sun sets. Every aspect of your home should be centered around God and His holiness and fearing Him and loving Him. What's interesting is if we jump down to verse 20. Verse 20, Moses says, And when your son asks you about all these things that you're teaching, that you're talking about, it's very interesting. He says, When your son asks you, What is the meaning of the testimonies 
and the statutes and the rules that the Lord our God has commanded you. And interesting how Moses gives his reply. Our instruction in the home is should be patterned after. This is how we pass on. This is how we build into our family. But look at what he directs his, uh, their attention to in verse 21. He says, Then you shall say to your son, We were Pharaoh's slaves in Egypt. And the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. And the Lord showed signs and wonders, great and grievous, against Egypt and against Pharaoh and all his household before, your, before our eyes. And he brought us out from there that he might bring us in and give us the land that he swore to give to our fathers. And the Lord commanded us to do all these statutes to fear the Lord our God for our good always, that he might preserve us alive as we are this day. And it will be righteousness for us if we are careful to do all this commandment before the Lord our God as he has commanded us. He points back to God's redemptive work. Verse 21, we were, the Israelites, in bondage. Slaves. Direct correlation to us. We were just like the Israelites before Christ in bondage, slaves to sin. Verse 21, the Lord's mighty hand brought us out of that bondage. This is what you're to answer your sons. You were in bondage. And God, by his mighty hand, brought us out of that bondage. And in verse 22, God's great deeds, his power, they're all before us. We see them with our eyes. Verse 23, his deliverance through Christ proves his faithfulness. He's kept his promises just as he said he would. Verse 24, these decrees are given for our good to preserve us, to bring us to that point where we would fear the Lord our God. It's all for our good as he preserves us. This is how we show these covenant values as we teach them diligently, as we talk about them. We go back to the redemptive work of God. We go to the cross. How do we do that? By us, ourselves, as leaders, as redeemed leaders, as men in our homes, we abide in Christ. We live by faith. We demonstrate that before our families and others. We foster our awe of God's holiness and his power in redemption, in redeeming us out of our slavery. We acknowledge our brokenness, our weakness, and our dependence on Christ. We show that abiding relationship with Christ, how genuine it is, how vital it is. We show that in our families as men, as redeemed leaders. And we demonstrate this agape love, this covenant love, just as God loves us. And then we bring this ugliness of the cross and the beauty of Christ into our conversations. The ugliness of the cross, our sin, this punishment, the wrath of God that was put on his son. Moses said, when your sons come and ask you, talk about slavery. Talk about this bondage. Talk about how God delivered us as fathers, as redeemed leaders in our home. We need to talk about the ugliness of the cross and the beauty of Christ. 
who set us free. This is how we demonstrate the power of the gospel in our own families. And of course, abiding in Christ and living by faith is crucial. And Mr. Matt's going to come and, and walk us through more on that line of thinking. Thank you for um, leading us into that portion of the text. The title of my section I was going to deal with today was this abiding is the bridge between our convictions and our faith. Convictions is the things that we know. Faith is that which we live out. And this abiding that Pastor Ken just referred to is that bridge between what we know, what we see with our eyes, but sometimes we doubt in that which is faith, that which is what we believe to come true, what we believe will happen. It's difficult to believe sometimes in a God that we cannot see, touch, or hear. Where are you, God? Are you here with me today? I don't see you. I don't hear you. I don't know where you're at. I'm, I'm scared. I'm nervous. I'm, where are you? And for Israel, that's what they were called to. They were called to believe in a God that they could not see. He was demonstrating himself clearly to the people with these horrific signs. As we heard, the, this deliverance out of the land of Egypt, the plagues that came upon the land, but also how he was providing for the people. He was giving them both bread from heaven and water from a rock. Water from a rock. Israel would be tested like so many of us and with this dilemma to trust. Would Israel find their confidence in God, or would they seek to resolve their uncertainties within their own abilities, skills, or thoughts? For the nation of Israel, their challenge began with God's charge to go and take possession of this land. The people, they had this unresolved question, Lord, how are we supposed to go up? What is the land like? What way should we go? So often, I think we ask those same questions when we are faced with difficulties in our life. What is the path, Lord? I don't know. I can't see what's ahead of me. What are you doing? The people stood before Moses asking if they could send spies and to answer some of these unresolved questions. The evidence was clear. God was going to give them a good and prosperous land, but the way to get there was uncertain. As a result of their uncertainties, the people reacted against God. They began to speak of God as this hater. He hates us. He rejects us. He wants to utterly destroy us. Moses, in this moment, reminded Israel this great truth of God's character. It comes from Deuteronomy 1, 30-33, and it says this, The Lord your God, who goes before you, will himself fight on your behalf just as he did it for you in Egypt before your eyes. And in the wilderness where you saw how the Lord your God carried you, just as a man carried his son. And all the ways which you have walked until you came to this place. But all this, you did not trust the Lord your God, who goes before you on your way to seek for you a place for you to encamp in fire by night in a cloud by day, to show you the place which you should go. 
There's a key element here in this passage regards this character of our Lord. That is, He who brings a work to completion. Um, a few years back, I spoke on this topic that it's God who brings things to fruition. It's God who brings the supernatural about. And I spoke from Haggai chapter 2, verses 1 through 9, about a man named Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel and a group of individuals, they had come back to build this temple of house of worship for the Lord. And God calls them forward. He says to them, listen carefully. Listen, how does this house of worship appear to you? How does it appear to you? It was not in comparison at all to what was once to form a glory. Zerubbabel, he was greatly discouraged. He was frightened and he was afraid. God said to him, Zerubbabel, listen, I will bring about this work in this house. I will shake the heavens and the earth and all the gold that belongs to all the nations. I will bring it to this house. The Lord, he, he encourages Zerubbabel with this words of truth. My spirit is abiding in your midst. Do not fear. You know, there's a challenge of holding fast or abiding in God, which cannot be resolved in any personal effort. It is the utmost dependency to trust that he has resolved or to allow God to resolve those uncertain, unanswered, uncertain questions that we may have. God has not abandoned us with no evidence. He continues to demonstrate his character and his attributes through this world. Every individual is held accountable to accept or to deny his working. For Israel, this evidence was in their conviction. Would they obey the commands of God and his instructions or would they denounce it? But how do we as a people move from knowing something, the evidence of his handiwork, to trusting him? the ability to live by faith. I'm going to be honest with you. When my mom passed away, I struggled in my faith. I struggled with this conviction. I could not see beyond what was in front of me. But God was working in my life. He was helping me. He was demonstrating his hand, his great handiwork, even though I was greatly afraid and frightened of my own life. Deuteronomy 4, 3 through 4, clarifies it this way, what it means to abide. Your eyes have seen what the Lord has done in the case of Baal Peor. For all the men who follow this false god, the Lord your God has destroyed them from among you. But you who held fast to the Lord your God are alive today, Every one of you. It is this holding fast, clinging to God, or as we can say, loving the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, even when our minds are doubtful. The key word here is found in verse 4, this holding fast or abiding in Him. It is this primary element found in um, Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9, this abiding. It's this great dependency Upon God, our minds often want to resolve this mysterious thing of this world. We long for resolutions that make sense to help us make this journey of life easier. So often we want to become the determiners of our own fate in our own terms. Unfortunately, none of us are capable of determining what will or will not be tomorrow. Moses warned Israel against this practice of self-resolution during the uncertainties of trust. 
In Deuteronomy 4, 15 through 19, it states this. So watch yourself carefully. Since you did not see any form on the day that the Lord spoke to you out of Horeb from the midst of the fire, so that you do not act corruptly or make graven images for yourself in the form of any figure, the likeness of a male or female, the likeness of any animal that is on the earth, the likeness of any winged bird that flies in the sky, the likeness of anything that creeps on the ground, the likeness of any fish that is in the waters below the earth. And beware not to lift up your eyes to the heaven and see the sun and the moon and the stars and all the host of heaven and be drawn away and worship them, those which the Lord your God has allotted to all the people under the whole heavens." Israel's abiding in God was never to be this mindless activity of tradition. It was to be much more than that. It was to be a convictions lived out daily. Moses understood that faith must be more than just the experience of great and awesome things. For Moses, faith was an utter dependence upon the character of God. You know, when we look at this world and see these beautiful sunsets, it's great. But that is not where we're supposed to be. Our worship of God doesn't come through natural things of this world. Our worship comes through His truth, His character. I know my God to be a compassionate God, a God who carries His people along, a God who always fulfills His promises. I know Him to be the one who does not show partiality or favoritism. He's the one who sustains and provides in the wilderness. He is my God. To imbibe a God is to subdue one's spirit underneath the Lord's headship. It is to denounce my ideas for his doctrine, my ways for his purposes, my words for his truth. The book of First John addresses more clearly what this command of God is that you believe in the gospel truth that Jesus is the Christ who has come in human form to die to be the proportionation for our sins and that we love one another, all the believers, all the believers, brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ, all. Our abiding in Him could only come about through the work of the Holy Spirit. For it is he who has given the believer the spiritual insight into what is pleasing to him. This knowledge does not come about by my own personal effort, but by him who chose to show us the distinctions between the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of light. You know, next week, the kids are going to be having VBS. And one of the main elements that they're learning is about putting on this armor of God that we are in a world that seeks to cause us to doubt. This armor of God that we are to put on, it protects us from an enemy who seeks to destroy that which is good. To abide in God is to love in the manner by which He has loved. It is love that is const- that's contrasted by the world's love, being the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, or the pride of life. First John 5, 1, 5 through 10 illustrates this abiding in Christ. It says this, Listen to this message we have heard from Him and announced to you that God is light, 
And in Him, there is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with Him and yet we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But, we, but if we walk in the light as He Himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sin, He is faithful and righteous to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make Him a liar and His word is not in us. Part of the Christian life is this process of sanctification that the Lord continues to bring things to the surface in our lives, things that are false and deceptive to truth. These are things which He brings to light. It is our reaction to this revelation that indicates our willingness to abide in Him. Faith is the action of life. It is continuously rooted in His truth, His character, and His attributes. Not every grievous sin will be manifested at the moment of salvation. The Lord, over time, slowly reveals things, showing us the depth of our conviction. When God was giving Israel various cities to conquer, He did so gradually so that they would not be overwhelmed, that the land would come to total destruction. God works in a similar manner with us today, slowly revealing to us the depth of true spirituality. And just like how Israel was called to abide in the love of God, that this love would give them the courage and strength to be brave against the enemy, our abiding in Christ today also gives us the courage to stand strong with confidence. For the believer for whom this letter was written, they were faced with many deceptive ideas, this higher intellectual thought. What was being presented to them was this idea that they lacked some higher rational thinking and needed someone to explain certain mysteries to them. Certain mysteries. They were lacking knowledge. You need somebody to come along and show you the way. John describes them as one of many of who are called the Antichrist. For these false teachers in 1 John, the resurrected body challenged their rational capability for reasoning. Within their own intellect, they had concluded that Jesus' earthly ministry could be nothing more than a phantom or an illusion of some higher intellectual realm. For the believers of John's epistle, they were discouraged. They were challenged by this question, is there or is there not a resurrection of this life from the dead? John encouraged them to know that when they received and accepted the gospel, that he in that moment was abiding in them. First John 2.28 says this, Now little children abide in him, so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink away from him in shame at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who practices righteousness is born of him. Our abiding in Him is reflective in our obedience to His commands and His instructions. It's reflective of our love for all the believers. For it is God who has loved us. And if God has loved us, we who are made in His like manner should also have this same characteristic amongst ourselves. It is not expressed in envy, in bitterness, or in strife. 
but in humility, compassion, obedience. Abiding is more than just an emotion. It's found in fellowship. It is lived out when we value the community of believers. Abiding is sharing the joys and the discouragements of life with others in the family of God. So often we want to say, I don't want to share my prayer requests with somebody else. I don't want to share my life with somebody else. That's something that's private to me. Why do I need to share it with a community of believers? We are called to abide as a community. It gives us counseling. It gives us encouragement. It gives us strength to be able to stand strong in this world against an enemy who seeks to destroy us. The book of 1 John closes with this command. Little children, guard yourself from idols. Idolatry is this quick fix to resolve the unknowns of life. They are man-made solutions to what can only be truly understood through faith. Idolatry is the trap of the human intellect against a holy and righteous God. When we don't know what to do, when our minds are wrestling within our spirits to try to figure out this mysterious things of life, of God, or things of eternity, we are called to be grounded by abiding in Him. This abiding in God is to know, to love, and to trust Him. When we abide, our love deepens, which gives us the courage to overcome the fearfulness of the unknown. Abiding is the bridge between our convictions and our faith. Thank you, Matt. And I'm sitting here listening to this as the rest of you have been and one of the thoughts I, I had immediately, what, what do we say to these things? When you think of, of Paul's words to the Romans, you know, if God be for us, who can be against us? And the sad reality is sometimes us. We're, we're against us. We struggle. We're weak. And even as Pastor Ken had mentioned here uh, at the beginning, you know, we'd like to say, hold on to Christ. The truth is, we struggle even with that, until we realize that's all we have and realize he's been holding on to us the whole time. Now, the truth is, abiding is this bridge. But abiding doesn't just happen. And abiding in and of itself can be a battle. And today we have a day to celebrate fathers. And the truth is that word carries so much, depending on our own background, our own experience, or maybe our own actions. And you know, I look around and I see these young guys, mine included, and I think about them, and, and for a long time realizing that as we train our sons, I'm investing into the very lives that will father my grandsons. I myself being one of them, and having the same responsibility. As we look at this, uh, just in the time that we have left, the, the real call here from Moses is really that of, of action. 
And I hope I can kind of pull these things in this morning and, and maybe we can sit as those that did in front of Moses himself and, and later even Joshua and ask ourselves today, what will our choice be? It drives tomorrow. And even for the young ones here this morning, as we look to them to commit to invest in them, we ask even of these young guys, what will your choice be? Just like Moses was calling to this whole congregation. You know, I'm going to do something similar as each of the men have already as we think about just a big picture coming into the smaller picture in Deuteronomy 6, which we read it. And even as I listen to Pastor Ken read it, I'm so familiar with some of these words, I realize we get disconnected from the implications of what Moses is saying, even in the very first seven and eight chapters of Deuteronomy, I'd encourage you to go back and read that. Because what you will hear is this constant theme. As he appeals to those of Israel, and he says, even here in verse 9 of Deuteronomy chapter 4, take care, guard your heart, keep your soul diligently. If there was a message to fathers this morning, it would be to this father certainly would be that every day. If it would be to all of us here questioning, where are you with the Lord? That's the most important question every day. Guard your soul. You know, the pattern here from Moses is one at the end of his path. And he succeeded greatly. If you know his story, he also failed greatly. He's addressing the next generation knowing that he will no longer lead them. And it's interesting, though he functioned in some ways as their king, he's really bringing them to the foot of the king and saying, you worship him. You follow him. Dads, that's what we need to be doing. That's what we need to be encouraging others to. And listen, this isn't just for dads. This is for all of us. If we don't get that step first and foremost in our life right, And we can sit up here and talk about everything else, but it starts there. Abiding starts with humility and relationship. And guys, listen, we're we're tough. We, We got a lot of pride in our heart. God created us to be leaders and defenders and providers. There's truth in that. Sadly, with that comes determination to do it on our own. And guess what? We fail when we do that. We can't get this right apart from Him, apart from humbling ourselves before a holy God. In fact, as you look at this pattern in Deuteronomy, we see that we're standing before a congregation, much like even this morning, of those that have been redeemed from failure. That's the gospel. You know, and often we accept Christ as our Savior and we step through that gateway of blessing in a moment of obedience and we realize how hard it is to walk that out. Every day is the same commitment. The gateway to that blessing is choosing God first. And if you look at this pattern in Deuteronomy, you see this right through the failure of leadership. The leaders, though they were established by Moses, as he talks about in the first chapter, failed to lead when it came time to enter the land. He's reminding them of that. The youngest among them at this probably 60 years at this time, all those 20 years and older would have been killed off in that time in the wilderness He's reminding of them the failure of leadership. The failure of correction in Deuteronomy chapter 1, 18 through 28. 
of community. Numbers 32 of the fathers. So Reuben and Gad had stayed on the east side of the Jordan and had said to Moses just before this setting here in Deuteronomy, we want to stay here. We want to build houses. And in Numbers, he said, you're just like your parents. Why are you doing this? Why are you bringing this upon the rest of us because of your failure? Of course, they affirmed that they would not be like their parents. I'm sure many of us have affirmed that in our own hearts. But failed fathers... And as you see there in that, in that list, also the failed hero. Deuteronomy chapter 3, Moses actually sprinkles this reality throughout this text. But in chapter 3, verses 23 through 27, he says, I pleaded. Now this is to the whole congregation of Israel. He's saying to them, listen, I pleaded. I'm the one who pleaded with the Lord saying, Oh, Lord God, would you only have begun to show your servant your greatness and your mighty hand? Please let me go over. Moses had failed as well, and because he struck the rock out of anger, because he was so angry over what he wasn't getting from the children of Israel, though it was right for him to expect it, it was wrong for him to take obedience away from the Lord and choosing to do it his own way even in the name of his service. Now, God is very gracious. It's interesting. His response is, don't talk to me about this anymore. It's enough from you. That was God's response. But then he graciously said, I'll let you see it. But for the sake of an example, how could God allow him not to face the realities of his own disobedience and all the while tell the people, there's, there's consequences in your life if you don't follow me. Listen, we, we sit here this morning realizing that if we asked, where are there consequences in our lives from not following God first, they'd be all around us. And sadly, sometimes at our own hands. When we talk about these things, when we talk about loving the Lord your God with all of your heart, you're listening to a man who is saying, let me tell you if you get it wrong what that looks like an example for us all to look upon and say oh i need to get this right think about all the things you're careful for in your life moses would say it doesn't matter if you get this wrong if there is ever a day to reflect on this right from moses's mouth right from the words of the text in front of us. Today would be the day to ask ourselves, what are we focusing on getting right first? How often we get them upside down. The battle is, the battle is real. And you don't need me to tell you that, even as we look around, but even in our own lives, realize this is a battle. And Moses is preparing these people to enter the promised land and where they will be facing a war but God's already given them the victory. God has already given them the victory. Ephesians chapter 6. You guys are familiar, I'm sure, but we're told we need to be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. We don't do this on our own. We can if you think you are. 
Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. And trust me, guys, one of the ways he destroys the family is he destroys us. Either through prideful misuse of authority, indulgence in things that destroy us through sin, indifference to those that we are called to lead in love, but instead focus on ourselves and our own desires and directions. The schemes of the devil to destroy many often start with us. Moses, as well as Paul here in Ephesians, is saying, guard your heart. Walk humbly with your God. Look to Him to strengthen you. Because we do not wrestle against flesh and blood alone, but against rulers, against authorities, against cosmic powers over the present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. Therefore, listen, the call today, take up the whole armor of God. Man, I'd encourage you, if you're going to take this seriously, to read through Ephesians chapters 5 and 6. Back to a battle for apathy. We'll sit and listen to these things many times. And listen, how many times in our own sin and consequence and shame maybe that's connected to our own actions will drive us to a place of humility which is quickly lost once we start seeing some positive success. And we need to know this, not just to do it, but to share it. There's a battle. So what would Moses have for us this morning? What was his core focus in Deuteronomy chapter 6? Of course, often we talk about the Ten Commandments in chapter 5, but that's what we've been looking at here in chapter 6. We need to fear the Lord. No matter who you are, no matter what you think or believe, what you have done or not done, every single one stands before the Lord. The young ones here that are just growing up, You answer to God for you. Those that already have are in the process of that. You answer to God for you. Listen, if you cannot humble your heart before him first, I want to ask, what is it that gets us tripped up? What is it that keeps us from just coming before a holy God and saying, Lord, I need you? How many failures, how bad does it need to get before we realize that's where I need to be every day? And for those that are older that have walked this path, listen, we need to keep hearing this. We need to keep being encouraged. It's through obedience. It's through humility. It's in a growing love. Fear the Lord by keeping His commandments. In verse 2, love the Lord with all you are. And like Pastor Ken said, this is tough. Because in our heart, our little idol factory of the heart, There seems to be so many distractions that just a moment, it only takes a moment to be created. This is a constant plea. Lord, would you help me? Would you help show me the areas that I'm not serving you in this? Teach these things to your children. I I wonder if we have to own this a little bit before we were like Moses And we're so passionate to plead with another life to say, please don't go down this path. Understand, you have to do this with the Lord first to get it right at all. I know many of us here 
are there. And I plead with those that are younger. I plead with those that are still learning how to do this, walking with God, saying, right, this is the center of it all. This is the center of it all. I'd ask you to turn your Bibles to Joshua chapter 24. We're not going to spend too much time here this morning, just for the sake of time. Joshua 24. I've got good news for you. We've got a picture of redeemed leadership. The reason why I'm asking you to turn there isn't that we're going to read it all. Don't worry. You know, the real reason why we don't have ABF today, right? We're going to just stay here. No, poor kids. The kids are among us for their sake. We'll just highlight. But I want to appoint you to an object, at least a picture of success. Well, Moses in his whole life led to the point where he shared this recommitment of the covenant to Israel in Deuteronomy, and we have that. I wonder what happened. What happened after that? When all of Israel said, we saw what our fathers did, we won't do that. We will follow the Lord and we will go in the land and we know that God has given us the victory and he did. And they took the land. Not all of it, but as we see in Joshua 24, at least another setting, another Moses. Here's Joshua. He, he gathers all those leaders of Israel to him and he goes over in verses 1 through 13 all that God has done. He called Abraham out of idolatry and your forefathers and ultimately your great-grandfathers out of Egypt. And he lays it all out before them, what God did, what God did. It just died. All right. I said what God did, what God did, and what God did. God did great things. He's still doing great things. And then he says, what's going on? As Pastor Ken mentioned carrying little trinkets of idolatry in their very pockets. Verses 14 and 15, he says, put away the idols in your life. Choose to serve the Lord. You might ask, why would they ever do such a thing? But the truth is, in our own hearts and lives here this morning, we gather together, and if we're honest, there are some trinkets of idolatry in our own pockets, so to speak. Those things that we're most anxious over, beyond God, those things we serve and look for comfort and peace and provision and happiness in. To think we're so different would be wrong of us. What's great is it didn't matter. He said, put them away now and choose who you will serve. Commit to serve the Lord, 16 through 25. Again, I'd ask you to read that on your own. But what I want to point out this morning is verses 29 through 31. Did you know what they did? Seems like they did it. They put away the idols. They committed to walk with the Lord. And it says they served him. After these things, verse 29, Joshua, the son of Nun, notice what it says. Wouldn't this be amazing to have spoken of you? The servant of the Lord. To hear from our Savior, well done, good and faithful servant. Oh, what a wonderful thing to hear. But he died, being 110. They buried him in his own inheritance Verse 31, it says that Israel served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived him, who had known the work that the Lord had done for Israel. You know what happened in Deuteronomy and Joshua 24? A people that said, we will, and you know what they did? They did it. They put away the idols. They chose to serve him 
And so the question this morning, what would the call be to us men as we lead and set the tone spiritually and in every other way in our homes? Older men, as you invest in us younger guys, fear him. Ephesians chapters 5 and 6, every single aspect is directed towards the Lord. You love your wife like Christ loved the church. You serve your boss as you serve the Lord. Bosses, you remember, you have a master in heaven. It's all pointed to him. We fear him, we obey him, and we love him for his patience and his kindness and the fact that he helps us be what we want to be to do what he's called us to. And the best way we know how, we just appeal to those younger, to our children, be purposeful all the time. Get this right. We can talk about the details, but this is where it starts first. That's our call this morning. And so I want to ask all of us, even as we close in prayer, who will we serve today? Joshua said, choose for yourself today who you will serve. And I want to tell you, it doesn't matter where you are, where you were, where you've come from. What matters is from this day on. And if you humble your heart even today and say, I will serve you from here on, we can grow in that, but that's where it starts. If that's where we've been, we hold on to him because we realize he hasn't let go of us. And we say, God, this is what I want. Help me. And help me grow in it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, so privileged to be able to even call you Father. You know us. We're so thankful you do. You remember our frame. You know we're about dust. We know, you know that we're inclined to evil. And it saddens our heart. It really does. We, we, we want to live for you. We want to be the men, the people, your children that you've called us to be. We plead for the next generation as much as we plead for our own hearts. Lord, would you get a hold of us? Would you help us? Would you guide us? Would you help us as your people, as your church, invest in one another, encourage one another, challenge and correct each other as we realize maybe we can stray along the way? Ultimately, we know this is your work. And so as we submit to it, we look to it, and we pray that you would work through it. In Jesus' name, amen.